I was looking at a picture on our uh, mantle the other day. It was a picture of our family went away on a trip uh, almost 10 years ago when my generous mother and father-in-law uh, treated us on a cruise to Alaska. I remember when my wife asked me, he said, uh, my mom and dad want to take us to Alaska. I'm like, why? <laughs> I, I had absolutely no interest in going to Alaska. But it was, uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful trip being with family. And it actually was just amazing weather. But we started out in Vancouver, Canada, and we boarded this very large ship. Just, it was massive. And uh, uh, toward the beginning of our travels, uh, there were these very high winds and beating down rain. It was very turbulent. I'm going, oh boy, what are we in for? But I, I was so thankful that we, my wife said, we need to get those anti-seasickness uh, seasickness patches on our arms. And I'm glad we did because it would have been awful. I'm sure I would have been green and hanging out over the board all day. So we didn't. It was a great trip. And, you know, we all had to have complete faith and, and trust in the, in the captain that he was going to actually do what was supposed to be done. Let's take us to Alaska. And, and he did. He got us safely to our destination. Uh, there was nothing that we did to get us to Alaska. We merely received that gift from our mother, my mother and father-in-law who, who paid for us, uh, very kind. And, um, you know, it, it reminded me, as we, we think about traveling, as we think about our ultimate destination in life, as we think about that ultimate destination in life, God reminds us that he offers us that free gift, which is perfect, purchased by us, by Jesus Christ for us, and he is the captain of our salvation. And so as we think about this new year, it may prove to be helpful to look at our lives, examine our lives, and ask some important questions, like, you know, uh, figuratively, what ship are you on in this life? Who is the captain of your ship? Are you heading in the right direction? So as we begin this new year together, I would ask that you would open up your Bibles with me. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. And this is found on page 1170 in the church Bibles. So again, we'll be looking at Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Again, a page on page 1170 in the church Bibles. And uh, we're going to be looking at, at some of the uh, ships of the faith, so-called, as we look at these, pass of these words together. This is God's holy, infallible, and life-giving word. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being lifted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And Lord, bless the reading and hearing and obeying of his holy word. Would you please pray with me? Father God, we do come before you knowing that you have invited us into your presence, that we might 
worship you and you alone. We pray, Lord, that nothing would distract us this morning. Lord, that we would hear your word preached. Lord, that we would respond, that you would help us to grow in our faith and we may trust and believe in you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, uh, we're going to be looking at various ships of the faith. Because of our faith in Christ Jesus, there are several uh, ships in this passage. Uh, some are more specific. You can see some are uh, put in a little bit. Um, but the, the first ship of the faith that our passage addresses is about our relationship with God. Our relationship with God. We are actually born into this world with a broken relationship with God because of our sin. Uh, just a, a few verses earlier in our passage, looking at verse 11, Paul was speaking to the Gentile Christians and was reminding them of their relationship with God before they had faith in Christ. He said, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is the same relationship that all people have as they come into the world, as they do not have true faith in Christ Jesus. We are all separated from Christ because of our sin. As we often teach our children here and in the Good News Club, sin is any thought, right? Thought, any word, any deed that does not please God or breaks his law. God is, is holy and, and just, and therefore because of who he is, he cannot have sin in his presence. Because of our sin, we are separated from Christ and are excluded from the presence of God. If we remain in our sinful relationship, then we have no hope. We are without God in this world. In this broken relationship with God, our, our sin is what rules our lives. As we look at James chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Friends, with this sinful world are hostile to God if we remain in our broken and sinful relationship. But thanks be to God and his amazing love and grace in our lives, we can have that broken relationship restored. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and following, it says that even though we are separated and excluded from the presence of God because of our sin, God solved our problem in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Though we were far off and separated from God, we are able to be brought near because of the blood of Christ alone. Jesus, in his perfect life, his sacrificial death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, breaks down that barrier, that dividing wall of hostility. Only by having faith in Jesus are we able to be reconciled back into a right relationship with God, never to be separated from God again. As we put our faith and trust in Christ alone, we are no longer strangers and aliens to God. Our relationship changes from being a stranger and an alien and an enemy of God to that of becoming a child of God. 
It says in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12, but to all who receive him, who believe in his name, who have faith, he gives the right to become children of God. It is all because of God's amazing love. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we would be called the children of God. When God gives us faith to believe, he, he restores our broken relationship with him and makes us his children. That's an amazing thing. Not only does our relationship change when we have faith in Christ, our citizenship changes. Our passage tells us that our citizenship changes when we have faith in Christ. Many times when we think about citizenship in our world today, uh, we think about the rights of citizenship, especially if you live here in the United States of America. I'm a, I'm a citizen. I have, that. I have a right. Nobody can tell me to wear a mask or tell me I have to be six feet away. Or, you know, we think we have rights. And there are many rights of United States citizens after naturalization. One of the most wonderful rights of being a citizen in the USA is that you cannot be deported uh, to your former uh, country where you were a citizen. You have as much of a right as any other American to, to live and to work in the United States. You can also obtain federal benefits only available to U.S. citizens. Other rights of U.S. citizens include a right to apply for jobs within the U.S. government. A U.S. citizen can also be given the right to vote in elections. But with the rights of citizenship come responsibilities as well. One of the responsibilities of citizenship in the U.S. is that we must file those income tax returns for life, no matter where you live. Our, our daughter, who lives in Thailand, she's been living there for the last seven years, is still required to file her U.S. income taxes every year. Another responsibility for U.S. citizens is that you uh, may be called to serve in the military. Uh, another responsibility is that you may also be called to serve on a jury. These are just several things. You know, just as we would have rights and responsibilities as citizens in our countries where we live on earth, so it is with our citizenship in heaven. For those who have faith in Christ alone, our citizenship is in heaven. There's really no dual citizenship there, right? When our relationship with God is restored and he calls us his children, we are blessed with a new citizenship. We once we become citizens of heaven because of faith in Christ, that citizenship can never be revoked. When God grants us citizenship in heaven, we can never be deported. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 27 and 28, he says, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one, Jesus says. When God grants us citizenship in heaven, we are no longer citizens of this world. As I said earlier, there is no dual citizenship when we are Christians. Our loyalty and our commitment is no longer to this world and the ways of this world. Our sole commitment is being citizens of heaven. James tells us 
in chapter 4, verse 4, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. When we are called to be in the world, we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. As Christians, we have a new allegiance. But thankfully, we are not alone. Thanks be to God, he has not left us alone, but he blesses us with another ship of the faith. God blesses us with the ship of fellowship. We are blessed to have fellowship with the saints. We are blessed to have fellowship with other believers in Christ. Fellowship is one of these words uh, that gets thrown a lot in Christian lingo. Um, For many of us, when we think about fellowship, it brings uh, thoughts of gathering with people at church and Eating food, right? We always eat food. Let's, let's have a time of fellowship. Yes. What are we bringing? Uh, I am looking forward to the fellowship where I'll we'll, we'll be eating, right? Um, but, but fellowship is, is so much deeper than that. The fellowship that God provides his people is so much more than that. This, this word for fellowship in the New Testament is koinonia, koinonia. And in its most simplistic sense, it means sharing things together, sharing things together. If, if you, like, uh, for instance, if you or your family member went to Penn State University, any Penn Staters out there? No, 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 uh, my in-laws are. Uh, you know, if you came up to somebody who went to Penn State, you're wearing the, your Penn State shirt. I did this with a complete stranger the other day. We were at Longwood Gardens. He's wearing his Penn State, and I said, we are! And he said, Penn State! <laughs> and that's it. There's this camaraderie. You know, they have this thing going on. Um, and that's, that's the way there is. Thousands of Penn Staters all over the world um, who, who can have that, that fellowship together. Um, and it's kind of fun seeing that as they, they do that. And yet for the Christian, again, fellowship is, is much deeper than just sharing a university that you've attended. It, it's sharing in the blessings of Christ. It's eternal. Because of our our faith in Christ, we first and foremost have a renewed fellowship with God the Father. And and because of this renewed fellowship with God the Father, we are then adopted as his sons and daughters. This means that we have a new bond of fellowship with other believers in Christ. And this renewed fellowship with others puts us in a bond of more brothers and sisters than you could ever possibly imagine all over the world. Though we have many uh, differences in age uh, and sex, being male or female, having different ethnic origins, different shades of skin color, different accents, we are all united in fellowship with one another because of Christ and what he has done for us. It is so wonderful knowing that God provides us with this bond of fellowship with believers all over the world. It is through this bond of fellowship that God calls us to do this thing called life together. We are not alone. God gives us uh, many things that we are to be doing for and with one another. And some of these reasons that we are doing fellowship together uh, in the Gospel of John chapter 13, verse 34, it says that we are called to love one another. There are a whole bunch of one another passages in the Bible, and this is one of them. We're called to love one another. Paul tells us in Romans that we are to be devoted to one another. We are to honor one another above ourselves. We're to live in harmony with one another. The scripture tells us as well to to build up one another, 
to admonish one another, to care for one another. This is, this is the church. This is what Christians are supposed to do. And in Paul's other epistles in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, God tells us that we are to serve one another. We are to bear one another's burdens. When one person is hurting, we should all be hurting. When one person in our body is rejoicing, we should rejoice with them. It tells us that we are to be forgiving one another. We are to be patient with one another. That's hard to do many times. We're to be kind and compassionate to one another. We're to, to submit to one another, to bear with one another, to comfort one another, to encourage one another, to exhort one another, to stir up one another towards love and good works, to show hospitality towards one another, to pray for one another. There's a lot of one another's in the Bible, aren't there? That's not even all of them. There are a lot of commands that God tells us to do for one another in this wonderful fellowship that God provides us with the other saints. So when we, we think about fellowship, although food and hanging out with other Christians is great, um, we are called to be much more than that. We're supposed to be one anothering each other. What our passage also reminds us uh, that because of faith in Jesus Christ, we have a, a new membership in God's household. We have a, a new membership in God's household. Often when people think about memberships, especially this time of the year, I started talking about it with the kids a little bit, we, we have this renewed interest in a, in a gym membership, or perhaps the YMCA. I know my son and daughter-in-law, they just joined the YMCA. They're all excited about it. Hope that continues. Um, they, you know, some people get into Planet Fitness and LA Fitness or what have you, and people will think, you know, because they get this membership, you, all you got to do is buy the membership and you become fit within just a few weeks. It's amazing. It's amazing. Now they don't care. They they just want your money, right? Uh, you will be a you're a member, and they're going to try and show you the benefits, all that stuff. Each of these fitness places, they're going to try and sell you a membership and promote all of their perks of their membership. But in reality, they're just interested in selling you that annual membership in hopes that you don't even use it. Matter of fact, I think a lot of these places sell more memberships than can even hold. Like, if everybody went to the place, there's no room for you there, okay, guys? USA Today reports that a full 67%, two-thirds of gym memberships Never get used. That crazy? Two-thirds. But even among those who have a gym membership and do use it, uh, many do not use them regularly. Um, considering the average gym membership costs around $60 a month, that's quite a lot of wasted money. In fact, it says Americans blow around $390 million in annual, annually on gym memberships that never get used. You know, just give us the money here instead of just wasting it. No, I'm teasing. Um, but, but, you know, we just waste those things. There are, there are, there are the memberships that, that they say that have perks and benefits, but if you don't use them, if you're not, if you're not really a part of that membership, it's, it doesn't help. The blessings of membership in God's household is, is, is that the price has already been paid by Jesus Christ. It is a lifetime membership. Being in the household of God means that we are recipients of the blessings of Christ. Because of Christ, we have been granted access to the throne of grace. We have the privilege of, of access into the presence of God 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day of the year. God does not slumber or sleep. 
He is eager to hear our prayers and our concerns and our frustrations and our fears and our hopes, our doubts. Having a membership in God's household means, according to Philippians 4, verse 19, and my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God promises to meet and supply all that we need. May not always be what we want, what we, but it is what we need. God promises to meet our every need. We can be convinced, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 38, Paul says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. With membership in God's household, we can know that God causes all things to work together for his good and his glory, for our good and his glory, for those who love him and those who have been called according to his purpose. When we put our faith and trust in Christ alone, we have the best membership ever in the household of God. As Paul speaks about the household of God, he, he uses the analogy of, of a physical household. And if you've ever seen an older house, you'll see that many of them, including our own, have these cracks in the walls, you know, um, caused by aging and shifting foundation. And if a household is, is built on a poor foundation, it's almost certain that that household will eventually collapse. Many people are trying to build their lives on, on foundations that will not last. Some will try to build their lives on, having, on a foundation of having a good education, because if you have a good education, you'll have a good paying job so that you can have a nice big house with a two and a half car garage and fill it with all kinds of stuff. And then in the end, you, you just leave all your stuff behind. That's the foundation that many people are, are living with. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, verse 26 says, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine in the word of God and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the, and the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and a great was its fall. This is the picture of those who try and build their life on a foundation other than having faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus again says earlier in that passage in Matthew 7 verse 24, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And Jesus, Jesus is that rock. Looking back at our passage this morning, we see that Paul describes God's household being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being that cornerstone in whom the whole building it was being fitted together. This, the prophet Isaiah says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be put to shame. And so Peter quotes Isaiah uh, and is reminded that this was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. He is our precious cornerstone. It is said today, um, laying the cornerstone of a building is often a, a symbolic act. If you look around the city, or I think we even have one on our building out here, um, it's sort of symbolic. It'll say this, 
This is the cornerstone, has a date when it was erected or whatever. And it, and it really is uh, symbolic. It doesn't really play uh, much of a role in the overall structure. But this was not true in first century. In the first century, the cornerstone was always that first stone that was laid during construction. And every other stone in the building was measured by that standard of the cornerstone to ensure a proper fit so that it would last and be structurally sound. Christ Jesus is the cornerstone of the household of God, but his apostles and prophets make up that rest of that foundation. This is not to say that these individuals are in and of themselves worthy of some the same honor as Christ. Instead, the apostles and the prophets serve as the foundation so far as they speak the very words of our Lord. As God builds his household, as Peter says, we are like living stones being built into that spiritual house to be that holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Membership in God's household not only has incredible privileges, it also has important responsibilities as well. In every household that I'm aware of, uh, there are rules to live by. My kids know this. They even come back to the house. Daddy, are we supposed to put the knives here or the forks here? Because <laughs> I'm really nitpicky about stupid things like that. And, uh, you know, but, but there, there, there are certain, certain rules. I, I was talking to my father about a rule growing up in the house. I said, uh, my dad made me eat all of the vegetables on my plate at dinner time. He says, matter of fact, David, if you do not eat them tonight, you'll be eating them for breakfast the next day. And so I asked my dad last night, I said, Dad, why did you make me eat my vegetables? He goes, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so it's just one of those rules that he, he made up. But, my, my, you know, there's other kinds of rules that people have in their, in their house. Some uh, have a rule for taking off your shoes before entering the house. Uh, there are all kinds of rules. But being, being a part of God's household means that we are under his set of rules. Having faith in Christ means that we are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's another one of the ships of faith. God's households, God's household rules are that we are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Living under the lordship of Jesus Christ means that we are called to submit our lives, our entire lives, over to him. It's all, it is written, since the earliest days of the Christian church, believers have confessed the lordship of Christ. In fact, the, the first confession of the church was very, very, very simple. It was a simple aff affirmation. It was Jesus is Lord. That was it. You know how we do the Apostles' Creed? Well, the first one was just Jesus is Lord. And our forefathers in the faith who lived under Roman rule were killed for this confession because they were refused to say that Caesar was Lord. So thus, it's not surprising that the Apostle Creed, the Apostles' Creed also, in the earliest of the ecumenical creeds, confesses Jesus as our Lord. But what does it mean to call Jesus Christ our Lord? The, the Heidelberg Catechism answers that question by saying Jesus Christ is our Lord because we belong to Jesus. He has purchased us, thus we owe him our highest allegiance. Being under the lordship of Jesus Christ means that we are to submit to him and his authority in every area of our lives, seeking to live by his rules and his standards found in God's word, the Bible. God, uh, God's word af affirms this lordship 
in, uh, in Psalm 103, verse 19, it says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. We also read in Ephesians 1, verse 20 and 21, God the Father worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 18, all authority on earth has been given to me. As believers in Christ, we, with a renewed relationship, with a new citizenship, having fellowship with God and other believers, we are called to live in submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of our lives. This means that our relationships change. It means that uh, what we do for a living changes. It means our schooling. It means where we work. We are recognizing that all these things are to be done in submission under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It means recognizing that Jesus is Lord over every decision, including what we do with our, our gifts and our finances and our abilities. God is the one who has given us everything, and so uh, we are to live in submission to his lordship. It is a blessing knowing that we are under his lordship, though. As we continue to look at our passage this morning, we see yet another one of the ships of the faith. Uh, because of our faith in Christ, we get to grow because of discipleship. Discipleship. We get to grow in our relationship with Jesus because of discipleship. This is part of God's plan and, and purpose for his church. Jesus gave these important instructions to his disciples in Matthew 28, verse 19. He said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This, this process of discipleship in Jesus is to be trained and instructed in knowing and trusting and following Jesus. Discipleship is a, a lifelong process. Christians are never to stop growing in discipleship. As Christians, it is our responsibility to be growing in discipleship, and we are to also be training up our children in discipleship in the Lord as well. Proverbs 22, verse 6, tells us that we are to train up a child in the way that he should go. 2 Peter 3 verse 18 tells us that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to grow. Discipleship is about knowing God, knowing who God is, and doing what he says. Discipleship is, is about knowing God and doing what God says. It is a lifelong journey of growing more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. This, this lifelong process of discipleship is a process by which we are growing in our sanctification and so as you look back over this past year or past years, you can ask yourself, how, how have I been growing? How have I been growing? As we look into this new year, maybe we should be asking, how will I be growing further in discipleship? We are, we are not called to be doing this alone. Uh, we have opportunities for discipleship here at Crossroads in every worship service on Sunday as well as Sunday school for all ages we really just want to encourage everyone, if you're able, to be a part of that. Uh, we have other groups that are gathering to study God's word uh, in growth groups and prayer for one another. 
And these are wonderful opportunities to be growing in discipleship. In verse 22, we see yet another one of the ships of the faith. It says that we are being built together. And that means we are in a partnership together. We are in a partnership together for his glory. We are not alone. God has brought us together in partnership to do his will. This means that his church is not a spectator sport. It is not spectatorship. That's another ship. In God's church, we are in partnership with one another. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I just want to say how personally thankful I am for the partnership that I have with this church at Crossroads for so many years. This partnership began for me in 1992 when I was a, a seminary student at Westminster Seminary, and I became an intern just like our, our intern, Scott. I don't think he's here yet. I think he's coming back tomorrow. Um, but you know, it, has been, um, it has been, and it still is a wonderful partnership that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our partnership in the gospel together is to be shining the light of Jesus on the hill in Upper Darby into the community and the world. It is a partnership that involves each and every one of us using our, our gifts and our talents and our finances and our abilities to the glory of God. Maybe that's another ship that I didn't include, stewardship. You should write that note on there. I didn't include that in your notes. Stewardship. It is a wonderful partnership where we can see more and more people having their relationship with Jesus Christ restored and renewed. It is a wonderful partnership that can deepen our fellowship with one another as we are in membership together in God's household. It is a wonderful partnership submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ, growing in discipleship. As we head into this new year together, I pray that we would continue to be putting our trust in Jesus to steer our ships of the faith in the right direction and to do his will for, our, for his glory and our good. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for who you are and what you have done in our lives. We thank you, Lord God, first and foremost, for Jesus Christ and his giving to us the gift of faith. We thank you, Lord God, for his allowing us to be in a right relationship uh, with God the Father by what he has done in his sacrificial death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave and his uh, ascension into heaven. We thank you that we can uh, be together in submission to his lordship, that we be growing in discipleship and partnership together, Lord God. Help us, Lord, to be a church that is desiring for you to lead us and guide us wherever you have for us. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.